Good morning. We're finishing our series this morning uh, called Are, Are We There Yet? We've been kind of going through a series for uh, about a, well, I guess it's been four, it's a four-week series, and we're going to conclude it this morning. And the basic premise of the series is simply that God has sent us on a journey, that God is... Uh, been moving in history, throughout history, and he's up to something, and we as a church get to be a part of it. And just like when you go on a road trip, it's important to think about, you know, where are we going to go, how are we going to get there, what are the things that are stopping us from getting there. Uh, In the same way, we need to think as a church, where is it exactly that we're going? What are the obstacles that are in our way? We chatted about that last week. Um, what does it look like when we get there? How do we know that we're doing what we ought to be doing and not getting sidetracked by other things? And so I hope as we've gone through this series, it's giving clear, clarity for us as a church and unity to us uh, in what we're about, uh, how we go about what we're about, and how we work together in unity. I'm going to do a quick recap for those, you know, maybe you've only caught a couple of the series or a couple of the talks. Um, just a very quick overview. And just a reminder, if you do want to catch, uh, catch up on one of them, you can always find those online. Um, you can get it right off our SunWest app that we now have. Just go to the App Store, type in SunWest Church. You can download our, our app, and it can connect you to all sorts of stuff there. So the first uh, talk, we talked about election, that God has elected and chosen people uh, ever since the beginning. He created Adam and Eve with a purpose. He, he called Abraham to himself with a purpose, and then he called people throughout history. Uh, and the Bible refers to this as election or being chosen. And every time someone was elected, every time someone was chosen, it was never for themselves. It was always for the benefit of others. It was always for the, the benefit of the whole world. And the Bible refers to uh, Jesus' followers as being chosen. And as, as God has chosen us, It's not just for us, and it's not just to be saved, uh, to go to heaven when we die, but it's actually to make a difference partnering with him today, to bring heaven to earth today. That's what being chosen is about. That's what co-partnering with God is all about. Uh, The second talk, um, we chatted a little bit about uh, the point simply being Jesus and moving towards Jesus, and this is... uh, really what discipleship is all about. And we're going to talk primarily about discipleship today. But discipleship is moving towards Jesus, following Jesus. And often in church and in practice, it becomes about a whole bunch of other things. And so we use the analogy of a fence versus a well, that often we create fences that try and identify who's in and who's out, you know, whether that be certain beliefs, certain behaviors, church attendance, tithing, reading your Bible, praying, and we create these fences that we think, sorry, just, this mic is going to drive me crazy. Let's check. Still, still echoey. Check. Um... I may have to transfer mics. We'll, we'll try it for a few more minutes here. Um, so anyways, we create these fences that 
trying to identify who's in and who's out. And Jesus refers to him as the well, himself as the well, uh, this place of living water that he invites all people towards. And instead of trying to figure out fences, the goal is actually to move towards Jesus. Instead of trying to figure out who's in and out, it's actually about inviting people one step closer to Jesus. Because we know that as we are in relationship with him, he actually transforms us. That our behavior comes out of intimacy and not the other way around. We don't behave in a certain way in order to gain intimacy with God. That's religion. We don't do good works to be acceptable to God. We actually behave differently because we're in a relationship with God. In the same way that you behave differently because you're in a relationship with uh, maybe a spouse or a friend or a girlfriend, you treat her a certain way because of the relationship you have, because the love that is there. So our behavior comes out of that intimacy. And last week we talked about unity and, and how disunity is one of the primary things that actually stops us from moving towards Jesus. That at SunWest over the years there's been various emphasis, emphases, um, you know, whether that was you know, us as a church being seeker-sensitive, us as a church you know, trying to do um, you know, more intentional teaching and training, uh, training leaders, um, you know, focus on, you know, God's spirit and, and how God wants to move now like he did in the early church. And so there's been different seasons at SunWest where some of these values have been elevated. Um, and often when, when one of these seasons or one of these values was elevated, the, the group that maybe attached themselves to what preceded it uh, felt like they were losing something of the heart of what we were supposed to be about. And so we... I think different camps kind of formed, but what we didn't realize, or what we lost sight of, is that all these different camps, these different uh, things that we emphasize were expressions of God's unique body. That in Ephesians 4, which we're going to look at in a minute, God describes apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He says those gifts have been given to the church uh, for unity, for building up of the body, help the body grow into maturity. And so if we can identify that these differences are not actually what separates us, but are uniquely designed by God to do what he's called us to do, then we can move towards Jesus instead of tripping over these obstacles that were really intended to be gifts. They were gifts that we've turned into weapons, but we need to rename them, recall them back to their intended purpose and say, you know, these are actually God-given and we honor one another. So that's a brief overview. Uh, So this morning, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, In Ephesians 4, it refers to apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. And said, like I said, these were given to the church. And what I would, the metaphor I would suggest to you this morning, uh, if you're techie, this might make sense to you. If you're a techie person, if you're not, then it probably won't, but just bear with me. That uh, the church, the ecclesia, the gathering of people is like, your hardware, your physical computer. Uh, the the APES, the gifts that God gives the church, is like your software. It's the thing, you know, when your phone isn't working and you're not sure why it's not working, it's because something with your software is a little funky. Um, and you do these software updates on your phones or on your computers, and it just allows you to continue to use the programs to do the tasks that you want to do. And so if the software isn't working, you can't do what you're supposed to be doing. If we're not honoring uh, these, you know, APEST, 
apostle, prophets, evangelist, shepherd, teaching gifts in the church, we actually get distracted from the task that we're supposed to be doing. And this morning I suggest to you that the task is actually discipleship. And we've talked about this in the past, but if you, you know, I'm just going to bring a couple of scriptures into this quickly. Matthew 28, 19. Um, it won't be on the screen, but I can just read it for you here. It says that all authority in heaven, this is Jesus talking, has been given to me. Therefore, go, he's talking to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. There's lots of things that Jesus says in there, but the only imperative, the only commandment in the Greek in that passage, even though it reads different in different translations, is to go make disciples. The only commandment and imperative that Jesus gives in the Great Commission co-mission, partnering with God and his mission, is to make disciples. And not only just disciples individuals, but to disciple whole nations. So what is a disciple? There's lots of definitions of a disciple. But maybe the simplest definition we can pull out is in Matthew 4. Matthew 4, 19... This is as Jesus calling his disciples to follow him. It says, uh, Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Or as another translation says, I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and they followed him. And there's three kind of parts to that call that Jesus gives. One is, come follow me. Part of discipleship is just simply following Jesus, moving towards Jesus. A disciple is someone that follows him, that tries to mimic him, tries to imitate him in the way that they live. That's the first thing. Disciple follows Jesus. Second thing Jesus says is, I will make you fishers of men. A disciple is someone that is transformed by Jesus. We don't, we cannot transform ourselves, but as we as we go into relationship with the living God, he actually transforms us to make us more Christ-like. It's not something we do. We follow. That's what we do. And as we follow, as we move towards Jesus, he transforms us. He makes us. He shapes us. And the third part is, I will send you out to fish for people. I'll make you fishers of men. So a disciple follows Jesus, a disciple is transformed by Jesus, but, and a disciple also partners with Jesus in his mission, which is people. God loves people. He loves all people. So this, this shift in Scripture from an Old Testament religious observance to this language of discipleship, is actually a significant shift that I want to address just quickly. In Matthew 9, and, and this will be on the screen and also in your, on your words to live by there, Matthew 9, 17, it says, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Everybody say new wine. And say new wineskins. 
They pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Both the old and the new are preserved. What Jesus is saying here is what came before is not, uh, it's not like it doesn't matter anymore. That was still important. It's still preserved. That was still valuable. But I'm doing a new thing. And the words here in the Greek, uh, we read new wine and new wineskins. The, the word new in both of those instances are different words in the Greek. The first one is neon, which we get the word neon from. Um, it's new, it's fresh, it's superior quality. You know, it's not just green, it's neon green. It's like, whoa, that's fresh. Um, and into new wineskins, and the word there with new wineskins is kynos, which, which means something that is not previously present, not, that didn't previously exist. It was something that was unknown until this point of time. So Jesus is saying, I'm doing this new, fresh thing that I'm calling disciples to. And this new thing that I'm doing is going to need a structure, a container that you haven't previously known about in order to hold the thing that I'm going to do. The old thing was this, when we chatted about this a few weeks ago, was this religious observance. You know, it's, it's a life that was oriented around the temple. This, we live a certain way, we follow certain rules, we do certain behaviors, and our life is about us, these rules and regulations, these religious rules that we follow. But Jesus is moving beyond that to something more life-giving, something more relational, something less black and white and more organic, something that doesn't fit into the old box and the old system, but actually needs a new way of thinking and a new way of living it out. And I think because of this, uh, when you go through Scripture... You know, Jesus uses various metaphors, and people say, what, are the, what is the kingdom of, tell us about the kingdom of God. Well, he said the kingdom of God is like this, and he uses a picture, he uses a story. Why? Because sometimes things that are a little more fluid need pictures and stories to help people understand them. Paul, who wrote a good chunk of our New Testament, and Peter use different metaphors to describe the new thing that God's doing. So if Apest is the software... But discipleship is the task in the goal. What does this discipleship look like? 1 Peter 2 verse 2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter uses this analogy of physical growth. God's doing a new thing, and right now you're infants, but you're going to grow up. Paul actually uses the same metaphor. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. So we see these windows that that there's this, this spectrum of growth. 
There's this new picture, this new idea of what God is doing. You know, growth being one of those metaphors. Jesus refers to this as well. You know, when he's talking to Nicodemus in John 4, he says, if anyone wants to see the kingdom of God, they must be born again. Another reference to physical growth to represent spiritual growth. Nicodemus is confused. He's like, so what do you mean I got to be born again? Like, if I go back in my mom's womb, that's going to be a little messy. She's like, you're missing the point. I'm talking about a new spiritual life. I'm talking about a new wine. I'm talking about a new thing that I'm doing. Um, And it means that you got to see the whole world differently. It means you got to start to live and behave differently. The new... Uh, the Old Testament called people to religious observance. The New Testament calls us to growth, to a vibrant relationship where Christ is the vine and we are the branches. It's about transformation. It's about continuing to move forward into greater maturity, not just simply obeying a bunch of rules. And so this morning I want to articulate what this looks like because when you're going somewhere, you got to know what does this look like? How do we know when we get there? I remember uh, last year, I went on the Mexico trip with my kids. They came along with the youth Mexico trip. And I remember we got to Colehurst, just outside of Lethbridge. And my youngest son says, Dad, is this Mexico? (laughs) And I thought in that moment, I was like, this is going to be a long van ride. (laughs) He's already... It's like, no, this isn't Mexico. It'll look much different than this. Um... You know, similarly, a couple of years ago when I was on a sabbatical, we were going to take our kids to Disneyland, and we get, um, but that was kind of at the end of the sabbatical. We spent the first week in this cabin uh, out in the uh, Snoqualmie area outside of Seattle, and we get to the cabin, and, and our same son is like, is this Disneyland? <laughs> I was like, you're going to love Disneyland. If you think this is Disneyland, <laughs> your senses are going to be blown when we get to Disneyland. But he, just, he has no gauge for how to articulate uh, or how to understand, did we arrive where we were trying to get to? Because he doesn't know what it looks like. And do we know what it actually looks like to be a disciple? Do we actually know what it looks like when we as a church are moving and growing in, into greater maturity? What, is that, what does that even mean? If our life is not about religious observance and just following a bunch of rules, but it's actually about this vibrant thing, this new wine in this new wineskin, how do we articulate that? So I want to pick up on this metaphor that we see throughout Scripture, this metaphor of physical growth. And it's not the only metaphor, but I think when we pick one and we kind of orient our language around it, it helps us think through these concepts uh, in a way that maybe we didn't think through them before. And these, these concepts I'm pulling from a book called Real Life Discipleship by a writer named, uh, uh, his last name is Put- Putnam. What's his first name? I'll tell you. If you, if you want to know, I can tell you after. But uh, So as we do this, I'm, we're going to do something a little bit different. This is going to get more interactive than we usually get on a Sunday morning. So everybody... Put on their interactive hats. Uh, I, got, I got two friends, uh, Jeff Marshall and Calvin Block. Uh, they're gonna, they've got microphones. And we're going to have a conversation this morning. 
And we're talking about, again, physical growth. Physical stages of growth. And so the first stage, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus, is that Nicodemus was not yet born yet. He was not yet born again. What does it mean to be born again? The Bible refers to this as repentance. It's a turning towards Jesus. Right? So if you think of the well and the fence analogy, when somebody who's moving away from the well turns towards the well, that's what the Bible refers to as repentance. It's a turning towards Jesus. So Nicodemus turns his heart towards Jesus. And so in that moment, Nicodemus is, is born. He's beginning this journey, this relationship with Christ. And what happens after you're born? You enter a stage of infancy. So tell me some characteristics of infants. We're talking about physical infants. Okay, put up your hand. We got Kelvin and Jeff will be in the rows. Put up your hand if you got a response. You want to physical, char- physical characteristics of uh, infants. Someone They're says really something. tiny. They're really tiny, yes. Okay, what else? They sleep lots. They sleep lots. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> Depends who you talk to. They're dependent on their mothers for food. Dependent. They're squishy. Squishy. I heard someone say needy. They have big heads. <laughs> they got big heads, okay. The amount of noise they can make is disproportionate to their size. They make a lot of noise, sure. They're real messy. They're messy. They cry. They're in charge. They are in charge. And get it. That's good. Let's take let's take a break for. Oh, there's another one there. It's not all negative. They have no hair. They have no hair. You were right. Well, that's actually, I've, I've met some pretty hairy babies, but. Uh, so these are, these are some physical attributes that we would say an infant is someone who's dependent, they're squishy, they're needy. Uh, you know, they're needy, they're, they're in charge, so there's a sense that at this point in their development, the world evolves around them. And they don't actually know any different, they're messy. Right? I've seen parents try and train their kids to eat cleanly to varying degrees of success, but generally they are messy. So as we're doing this, I want us to think when Paul, when Peter, when Jesus is using these metaphors to describe spiritual growth, what does it mean for someone who originally, or they turn to Jesus, they, they are born and they enter into this stage of infancy. What does that mean in the spiritual, with the spiritual aspect of their maturity? I think it's pretty obvious to see that someone who is an infant in their spiritual walk is someone who, at that moment in their walk, it's about them. At that moment in their walk, there's needs that they're dependent on other people to provide. And I need to say this from the get-go, and I'll continue to say this. It is not bad or wrong that they're infants. Like, how many of us get mad or, you know, at our infants and we're like, 
you know, we don't expect them to act like, you know, 16-year-olds or 25-year-olds. They're infants. And we respond to their needs because of the stage of life that they're in. They need community. They need family. So someone who is an infant in the faith, it is going to be about them. It is about them in that moment. It is, they are going to need a community of people to be dependent on for their needs. It couldn't be any other way. When, when, if you played a role in helping that person turn towards Jesus, you know, I, I wouldn't want to take this metaphor too far, but in some ways, that's a parental type of role. If you were in their life and you've guided them to turn towards Jesus, there's a, there's a responsibility you have to help provide for the needs in that season of their growth uh, because they need you to do that. What about a child? So they're moving out of infancy. They're going into the terrible twos. Three, four, five. Let's describe some characteristics of children. Hands up. Characteristics of children. Very curious. Curious. Testing the boundaries. Rebellious. Lots of energy. Rebellious or energy. They're learning lots quickly. They're learning lots quickly. They're selfish. Selfish. Did we just get two selfish in a row? Still dependent, but less dependent. Okay, still dependent, less dependent. They're filled with awe and wonder. Yeah. They have a great ability to learn. Sorry, JC, what was that? Talents. Talents. Discovering talents. They're very playful. Playful. Okay, let's, let's pause there because I'm running out of space. Okay, so what does it mean if these are physical realities of, of a child? If we think about this in terms of spiritual growth. You know, a child is, is curious. You know, they're learning things that they didn't learn before. They're asking lots of questions. Why? You know, why do we do this? You know, have you ever met, you know, people early on in their, in their faith and they, you know, why do you guys do this? Why do you do this? And they're asking lots of questions. What does this mean? When they, um, and it's a great stage of, of curiosity. They test boundaries. Uh, there's a sense of rebelliousness. There's still a sense of the world evolves around me. They are still dependent, but they're less dependent. You know, in terms of that, uh, 
that selfishness that was, that was talked about. You know, when you talk to a, you know, a three-year-old, often, you know, one of the first, or a word that you hear often them saying is, you know, me, me, or mine, mine, right? They're, they are protective of their, their world. Uh, they're discovering talents. They're learning, you know, how to do things, how to function. Uh, to kind of draw a connection back to the infancy one, you know, an infant does not yet know how to speak, right? So an infant is learning how to speak, how to, how to communicate with people in a new way, how to pray to God, how to hear from God, how to listen and understand their father's voice. A child is growing in their ability to communicate with people and with God, understanding things in a different level. Um, when my... It's a pick on Silas day. When, when Silas was... Just starting kindergarten, first week of kindergarten, he, uh, you know, he made up his mind that he did not want to go to kindergarten. And when Silas makes up his mind, he makes up his mind. And, I, um, and so I remember walking to school, he's like screaming, like top of his lungs as we're walking down the sidewalk, you know, parents are walking themselves to school. Um, and, uh, and he digs his heels in. I remember him digging, like, and not just metaphorically, like he dug his heels in. And he refused to move his legs anymore. And so it became a drag. Like I grabbed him by the hand. I drag him. Um, and then the, the school doors open, and he kicked and screamed and would not go through the door. Um, actually, if, it's, it's funny because if you know Chris and Andrew Craker who come here, I saw Andrew doing the same thing with her kid the day before. And Silas was really good the first few days. Just went into school, and I'm like, yeah, having a tough time with your kid, hey. Uh, <laughs> and then I was walking back, and Andrew saw the whole thing happening that day, and she's like, yeah, so goes around, comes around. So he, uh, so he refused to, I couldn't get him in the doors of, of, for the school, and so then I had to bring him to the front office, right? So I'm dragging him. Picking him up, he's screaming. We get into the front office, and he, he pulls like the, the dead fish move when we get into the office, right? <laughs> like instead of fighting, you just kind of like, you flail. And so he's like on the office floor, like just dead fish, screaming out loud. And his, uh, his teacher comes in, and she's like, she's like, is it okay if I touch him? I'm like, yeah, go ahead. You know, do what you want to him. Uh, <laughs> And she, like, she grabs him, and then I'm like, do you want me just to go? And she's like, yeah, that'd be good. I'm like, hey, and I walked away, and she took him and dealt with him, and uh, he's been good ever since, so I don't know what she, I don't know what she did to him. <laughs> but there is this, like, uh, there is a bit of this rebelliousness at the stage of people digging their heels in over certain things. And, and sometimes you got to drag people along, and they don't want to. Uh, Psalm 32, verse 9 says, Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or, or they will not come to you. You know, God requ- requires for us to willingly move towards Him. Uh, but sometimes when people are at a, at a stage, at this child stage in their spiritual development, they will dig their heels, and they need a community, they need you know, parents, brothers, sisters in the faith to help bring them to places that they don't necessarily want to go themselves. And it's always gentle. It's always in the context of the family, in the context of relationship. Uh, but that is the reality of this, of this stage of growth. The issues are 
black and white in this stage. They, they see the world black and whitely. They serve others in ministry to an extent if there's a benefit that outweighs the cost. They're, mo- they're motivated by reward and punishment. Think of your kids at this age. You know, dad's going to the store. You want to come? No. I'll buy you a candy. I'm coming. <laughs> and that's okay. That, and again, these are natural stages of spiritual development. Okay, let's talk about young adults, teenagers. We got some young adults in the room. Don't take offense at what's about to be said about you. We know everything. (laughs) 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 We do what we want. So I'm going to actually further clarify that and just refer to that as independency. They're flawless? (laughs) Uh, We need some parents in on this. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, I've been a parent. Still dependent. Still dependent. Okay, independency, still dependent. Uh, Growing self-awareness. Growing in self-awareness. Apparently (laughs) self-deceived. Defiant. Hungry all the time. (laughs) Hungry. Okay, these are these are pretty negative, and that's uh, that's okay. Um, What about some what about some positives? They can serve others. They can serve others. Learning a sense of responsibility. They take risks. Take risks. It's good. Spoiled. Sorry, what was that one? Spoiled. Spoiled. <laughs> Okay, I ran out of room. Um, so a young adult, so let's, let's think about this in, the, in terms of spiritual maturity, becoming, they're moving away from dependency on the parent. Now, one of the parents did say they're still dependent. And so this is, once you get into the young adult realm, you, you, we start to actually identify some of the, the tensions of growth. And this to go back to the new wine and new wineskins, this is why a one-size-fits-all does not work. This is why a rule for your child is different than a rule for your young adult. This is why when my kids are at the age they're at, I don't let them touch the stove or the oven. But at some point when they're teenagers, I hope they can learn to cook because their dad doesn't. (laughs) 
But there's a natural changing of expectations, a natural uh, change of behavior. And, and it's interesting, not to go too far down this rabbit trail, but if you look in First uh, Corinthians 8, Romans 14, you know, Paul has interesting dialogue there with the churches around what's, what might be offensive for their conscience is not offensive for you. And if it's not offensive for you, it's not sin. If it's offensive for them, that is sin. For some people, it's okay to eat the meat sacrificed to the idols. For other people, it's not. But if you have freedom in eating those meats that were sacrificed to idols, don't eat it in front of people that think that it's not. And so if we go here with like an old wineskin and we're like, well, okay, so what is it? Is it do this and don't do this? Or this is really confusing. And it's confusing if we have this one-size-fits-all understanding of discipleship because as somebody grows, the expectation on how they live, uh, the expression of how they live, their expression of loving God, loving others actually changes. So in some ways they are, we'll see these tensions, they're dependent on their parents to an extent. They want your money. But they're independent in a bunch of other areas. And as parents, you can get frustrated and be like, okay, well, now you don't want me. And before, when you wanted 50 bucks yesterday, you, all of a sudden you were my friend, and now I'm your worst enemy. And, uh, you know, they are wrestling through this stage of dependency and independency. They, they need an element of continued parenting, but not over-parenting. They're at this point where they need to be released. When, you, when, when I'm getting babysitters for my kids, I get young adults. So they can take care of other people well. But they're not yet parents. It's not, they're not yet at that stage, but they are actually at the stage where they can be re- released in certain levels of responsibility and authority and independence. If black and white was a marker by how a child or an infant understood the world, a young adult is entering into a stage of gray. They start to question the things that they've always assumed were true. And at this stage, you'll find a lot of doubts. The simple understandings that they had about God or about church are questioned. They're being pushed on by experience. They're growing in their understanding. And so there's a a level of grayness that occurs at this stage. What about parents? Kids are like, payback. (laughs) By definition, a parent has done what? They're wise. Wise, okay. So someone said, oh. (laughs) By, By definition, a parent has reproduced. They've had a child. They hide the good food from us. Well, I'm assuming you're not talking about broccoli and vegetables. Other characteristics of parents. 
We talked about selfishness being a characteristic of children, infants. What about parents? Exhaustion. To give counsel. Exhaustion. Uh, giving counsel. They provide for others. Provide for others. So your world no longer evolves around you. Strict. Strict. So I, I just want to stop and come back to this provide for others one. Um, your world as a parent now uh, is dominated much more by your kids' schedule, their needs, their realities than it is by your own. And that's the reality of a parent. Long suffering. Long suffering. <laughs> Especially you, Ed. Supportive. Supportive. They set an example. Setting an example. Teacher, mentor. They're very busy. Yes. <laughs> Nurturing. Nurturing. Sacrificial. Yes. Loving. All right, we'll take, uh, take one more here. Made of money. <laughs> wow, Lucas. In your dreams, Lucas. <laughs> I'm going to leave that one out. So parents, they're becoming spiritually mature to the point where they can re reproduce their faith in other people. Disciples who are not only now following Jesus, but they're actually discipling other disciples. And we, we didn't... Uh, sorry, I, I was going to say, we, we didn't read Ephesians 4 before. I was going to read that passage again, but if Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, we started the first few verses of that last week. But if you even read the next few verses after that, it talks continuously about growing in maturity, growing in stature, growing in health. When the church is functioning right, there is this, there's this maturity that's defined in, that, in the Greek word in there as an adult person, an adult person who is able to, re, to reproduce. It's able to produce faith in other people. There's a multiplying effect for parents of faith. They have moved from their faith being about their needs to actually being aware fully and completely of the needs of others. They need to take care of themselves in order to take care of others well. Parents who don't take care of themselves well don't take care of their kids well. They have moved, what I would, this works for me because I'm a sports guy, but they've moved from a player mentality to a coaching mentality. I, don't, I no longer just do ministry uh, because I love it and it's, you know, it's all about me doing something that is my sweet spot, it's significant, those are, really good, those are really good things. But now they've started to think in terms of how can I coach other people, support other people, encourage other people, release other people to do the things that God's wired them to do.
from player to coach. They respect others without having to change them. They take responsibility for their own thoughts, feelings, and actions. They're convinced that they're absolutely loved by Christ, and because of that, they don't live like they have something to prove. If the child and the infant can be categorized by black and white thinking, the young adult can be categorized by this gray period of development. A parent could be categorized by color, uh, and by that I mean humility. Parents who have gone through these different stages of development, and then they can look back with a sense of humility, which recognize that they don't have it all figured out, but the main things are the main things. I'm clear about these things. They become a source of wisdom for others. They set examples. Now, what's, what's interesting, you know, part of the question that I want to ask this morning is, at what stage of your spiritual growth are you? And again, I can't say this enough, that where you are at in your spiritual growth is not a negative, even though you know, sometimes what we're writing down, there's these negative things. You know, my youngest son is five, my second son is seven, my oldest son is going to turn nine soon, and they are the age they are, and I parent them differently because of where they are, and when they're teenagers, that's going to have to change. When they're adults, that'll change. And I, I can't force them or rush them in their development, and I love them where they are, and God has them right where they are for a reason. And so regardless of where you are in the spiritual spectrum, it's not bad, it's not wrong, it's actually this beautiful spectrum of growth that exists in every church. And it should. A healthy church will have people in all of these spectrums, from pre-birth to infant to child to young adult to parent. The death of the church happens when we stop reproducing. We stop having these children, these infants, these young adults in the faith. Just because you are young does not mean that you are spiritually immature. We have young people in our church in high school that are reproducing their faith in others, their spiritual parents. Just because you're old does not mean you're spiritually mature. Part of what might help you identify where you are is what I'm going to refer to as phrases from the stage, from the stage that you're at. So an infant might say things like this, things that they might come out of their mouth. I love my small group, but I don't want to add anyone to it. I'm not being fed at my church. Why? Because they're dependent on other people. They haven't yet figured out how to feed themselves. I'm not being fed on Sunday, so i got to go to another church that's going to feed me better. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I just need to stay at home and listen to podcasts. They're not, they're not aware of their need for others, their need for community. I don't have time to be in relationship with other Jesus followers. 
I pray I read my Bible, that's good enough for me. I don't like that person. So I'm not going to go to that group or that thing because they really annoy me. A child might say something like, um, who are all these people going to my church? Tell them to go somewhere else. It's getting too big. I'm not coming to church anymore because it's too big. I don't have anyone who is spending enough time with me. No one's discipling me. I didn't like the music today. If only they did it more like that person, or if only the music was more like this. The words and the phrases that might come out of someone at this stage, as we said, is revolves around me or I. People, you might be serving, but you're serving maybe for a certain reward or certain fears. And it's not like the serving is bad, but uh, that motive, uh, you could check your heart on that motive. Spiritual children need teaching on being part of a spiritual family. They need teaching on how to feed themselves. They need teaching on identity, who they are in Christ. When, you're, when your kids are children, you speak identity into them. You name them. Having a relationship with Christ, having a relationship with other believers, appropriate expectations concerning other believers. If a person who is at this spiritual child phase will have inappropriate expectations of others and be deeply hurt when those other people don't meet their expectations. Young adults, they start to shift from me-centered me thinking to other-centered thinking. I love my group, but I think there's other groups who need a group like this. I think I could help lead something like that. I think I'm ready for more responsibility. Look at how many people came to church today. It's awesome. I'm so glad that there's new people. Randy and Rachel missed group this week. I'm going to call and see if they're okay. Their kids have the flu, so maybe our group can make some meals and serve some meals for them. I'll start that. I have a question about this. I was reading in the Bible the other day, and Jesus said this. Can you help me understand that? I'm so exhausted. This week I called 60 men for the men's breakfast on Saturday to see how they were. Young adults tend to take on more responsibility uh, than they have capacity for. Parents might say things like, this guy at work asked me to explain my faith to him. Would you pray for me as I chat with him this week? I realize that discipleship happens at home too. Will you hold me accountable to spending time discipling my kids? I see these needs at church, and instead of expecting staff or pastors or somebody else to do it, I think I'm actually going to take that up and do that. I can, I can own that. I can lead people to do that. Different stages of growth. And as we even reflect on this, I just want... 
to invite God to, act, to tell you, to reveal to you, maybe you already know, where you are. Whether you're at pre-birth stage, infant stage, child stage, young adult stage, parenting stage, all the stages are beautiful and good. But if we're going to grow as disciples, what needs to happen is a level of self-assessment and awareness. To be able to articulate, this is where I'm at. I met with a young adult a little while ago and I was explaining this, these concepts to them and I said, well, where do you think that you're at? And he self-identified as a child. He's like, I think I'm a child because I feel like I expect people to meet my needs and you know, I'm on the outside looking in most of the time. And, uh, and so we said, well, what, do, what would it mean for you to move into the next stage of your, your spiritual growth? And he's like, I probably have to start considering the needs of others, taking on responsibilities. I'm like, yeah, I think that'd be a good thing. There, a level of self-awareness and assessment that helped him understand what was the next thing that he needed to do to move towards Jesus. And recognizing that what it is for this person in infancy is different for this person in young adulthood or this person in childhood or this person in parenthood. It's not one size fits all. It's us moving and it's growing in a relationship with Jesus. So God, even right now, I would ask that you would come and just speak to us like a father speaks to his child. Thank you that you don't you're not frustrated with where we're at. You don't condemn us. You actually love us. You look at us and you just love where we're at. You love. It's fun for you to watch us grow. Lord, there might be some people in this room that think of themselves as less mature than they are. Lord, would you call them to that new level of maturity? Lord, there's some people that maybe have assumed they're more mature than they are. And this, this morning is a bit like holding up a mirror, not to shame them or condemn them, but to encourage them and to help them practically think of what it might mean for them to move forward towards you, to grow in their relationship with you as a disciple. The band, as the band comes up, a couple of close, closing thoughts. We could spend a lot. Of, we could spend a lot of time on this, but as a pastor here, part of what I've been thinking and wrestling through is what does it mean for us to holistically care for the whole spectrum of discipleship that exists in the body. And I can tell you that there's not one thing that's the answer because it's not a one-size-fits-all. Sunday morning cannot meet your needs as a disciple because if we're actually serious about growing in these ways, this is not the holistic picture of what that means. Sunday morning you know, has been discerned as a time to actually address people that are at a 
infancy or child level in their faith, to give them understanding, to give them training, to speak identity. And maybe you're a young adult and you're a parent, and you've sensed that, and that's okay. But that means that there's another level of involvement, there's other things that we provide as a church to help you at that stage of growth. And instead of, as a body, us thinking about, um, you know, what's happening, what programs are happening, is the church meeting my needs, let's actually take a step of self-assessment and say, where am I in my discipleship journey? What does it mean for me to move forward from where I am? I recognize that I have uh, a need for other people to speak into my life. Am I in community? I recognize I have a need for some deeper training and teaching. Where are things that I can actually embrace and be a part of that's going to help me at, that, at the stage? I realize that I'm in a stage where I need more responsibility because I'm a young adult. I want to care for others. So I'm going to get proactive and actually put myself in some mentoring positions where I can be given responsibility to try some new things. I'm a parent, and I realize that as a parent, I'm not discipling reproducing my faith, faith in others. Where am I mentoring? Am I leading a small group? Am I, am I leading a ministry? Am I, am I not only leading a ministry or doing that thing, but I'm bringing young adults aside with me to help coach and mentor them? I'm in a pre-birth phase, and I got all these questions. You know, what's, what can I do to help answer these questions about who Jesus is, who God is, because I'm not quite sure yet if I want to turn my life towards Him. These are all beautiful expressions of where you are on your faith journey, but they're all different. So the questions this morning, where are you? What does that mean for, where, for what you need in your life now? How does that change your expectations on the church and others? And we don't have time for this, but our church is also at a place in its growth. What does it mean for a church who's 20 years old, and I've heard that churches act their age, what does it mean for a church that's in a young adult faith of growth to take the next step in its development as a church. I'm going to invite you to stand and sing with us.